What's up, Internet? You're tuned in to episode 77 of the podcast. I'm your host, Peter Bessie, joined today by my very good friends. Oh, no, joined today? That's not right. What the fuck? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> all right, all right, let's tell it one more time. What's up, Internet? You're tuned in to episode 77 of the podcast. I'm your host, Peter Bessie, joined as always. Much all- better. <laughs> wow. Two for Wow, all right. You know what? That's it. Episode's over. We're packing it in, boys. We had a good run. Thanks 76 for episodes. Yeah, I guess we're done. All right, all right, one more time. Join today, as always. <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna barrel on. My very good friends, Mr. Stephen Radford. Hello. And DJ the Content Lewis. Hello. <laughs> no new nickname this week. Obviously, I'm, I'm a mess. What a hell of an I'm gonna, intro. I'm gonna level with you. I'm gonna level with you, listener. Today, we're as of this recording. Uh, this is it's Thursday the 11th. This is the day of the PS5 reveal. Both Steve and DJ have watched it. I have not because I was stuck at work. So I'm on edge. So uh, if if I'm coming with manic energy today, that's why. <laughs> and I hope you'll bear with me. <laughs> but <laughs> if this is your first time joining us, I promise, usually much cleaner. Uh, so uh, if so, welcome to the podcast, LootPots.com's weekly Nintendo podcast, where we get together and talk about all things Nintendo. Uh, if you want to check out some more content from us, head over to LootPots.com, read our news and reviews, head over to the YouTube channel if you want to get some of our videos, twitch.tv slash LootPots. We're doing streams every Thursday, Sunday, and Monday, uh, Thursday night. Tonight, I'm going to be streaming some Animal Crossing uh, with our own Chloe. That's uh, always a good time. Steve, what are you doing this Monday? What the golf? What the golf? That's oh, a good that's one. Good. Yeah, yeah, too. All right. So, yeah, um, <clears throat> go check that stuff out if you want to get some more content from us. If you want to show your support, of course, you can head over to patreon.com slash loopots. Get us at that $1 level, and you'll get access to our patron-exclusive show, After Dark, uh, which this week we're actually going to be discussing the PlayStation 5 reveal event. So uh, look uh, look forward to that one. <laughs> and... Um, <clears throat> Excuse me, if you want to be, be a part of the show and get your thoughts right on the air in our MailPot segment, you can write to me at p at loopots.com, or you can get our weekly Twitter thread, which goes up every Thursday, the day we record, uh, and go get your thoughts over there, or join our Discord and head over to the Podcast channel. Um, so, all right, that's, that's enough shilling. Let's get into it. All right, all right. Messy intro. It's going to still be a good show, <laughs> I promise. So let's start by what we're playing this week. Uh, like a true Nintendo fan, I have not touched my Nintendo Switch in like three weeks, and I'm just playing Persona. What a lot. Um, I'm still enjoying Persona. So, Did uh, you uh, progress to another uh, dungeon yet? Or whatever? Castle? Palace? Uh, uh, so, what was I on the last time? I three, think I just started the, th- the third one. Yeah. So I finished the third one, and I'm, I am waiting for the change of heart now. So cool. I've been doing like mementos and doing a bunch of the side this stuff. It's my favorite bit, my, I uh, think. Like going to do the burger challenge, working in the shop for a little bit. <laughs> just doing random stuff like that, yeah. yeah. I haven't done any of the work, like working in shops or anything. So I'm like, screw that. Like I'm not going to give away a bunch of my like time to for money. It's like I'm rolling in money. I tried <laughs> a bit of everything. I always love that you can do that kind of stuff. Actually, you know what? Uh, I'm going to jump into the mail pot. Okay. Unorthodoxly, because usually we don't do that in what we're playing, but we have a letter this week that pertains to Persona 5, so let's we'll, we'll get into it. This one comes from Zade, who wrote to me at pete.lupots.com, just like you can, and said, What's going on, Lupot Squad? Sorry it's been a while since I've written in. Been busy with the whole quarantine thing. 
Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Anyways, my question this week is inspired from Pete and I talking about his Persona 5 Royal playthrough. And I was wondering if you think like games like Persona 5 Royal are too overwhelming or too free. In Persona 5, you can do pretty much whatever you want in days you're not spending in the palaces or mementos. So it does sometimes feel a little bit much like you don't know how to spend your time because you might be conflicted in what to prioritize. Hope you all have been staying safe during the pandemic. Take your time. Zade. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question, actually, one I appreciate, because I wouldn't knock a game necessarily for being too free, but I, I do certainly uh, relate to games being overwhelming, like Persona 5 in general, just, you know, people say, this is great, it's, you know, 100, 200 hours of content, and then I'm just like, I I want to play, but that just, that's a lot of commitment, you know what I mean? And yeah, it's, it's like it sounds appealing, but it's like this Herculean task you need to take on, it feels yeah. like, almost. Yeah, and, you know, I think now is a good time to do it just because the whole quarantine thing. Um, that's why I did it. Yeah, and, you know, that's why I picked up, like, Xenoblade um, because I had the time. So I, I definitely wouldn't knock it for being too free necessarily, but definitely it's it's intimidating and can be overwhelming. I think it really comes down to what kind of player you are. Yeah. You know, because I think that there are some people who really like to dig in with a game and play one game, like, an insane amount and get ring everything that they can out of it. And I know lots of people like that. Like, my best friend uh, played Persona when it first came out, is playing Royal, and is planning on playing it a third time. Oh, my God. And that seems insane to me. Yeah, that is right? insane. Right? Like, I would never do that. Um, Because for me, most of the time, I want to play a game once. And have that experience, and then have a new experience. Have they played so that's, any of the other Personas? No. So it's just Persona Five. They're just like hundred percent into. Yeah, I mean, they played it and like really connected with it, Fair and enough. then now they're like, "I love Persona," but like playing the older ones is very prohibitive because like Persona Four Golden is only on Vita. For now. The other Persona Three and Persona Four, the original, <laughs> Not for long. are both on. Only on PS2, mm-hmm. right? Now they're coming to PC, which makes them more accessible. But he also doesn't have a gaming PC, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's fair. You know, he's like he's a console guy. So like, uh, Persona Five really struck a chord with him, and now he's you know he wants to keep playing it again and again. Great, whatever. Like, I I I appreciate people who want to play games that way. That's just not me. Like, yeah. I am very very motivated to like seek out new experiences, and you know, I always. I am way more the person who says they want to replay games and experience them again rather than who will actually do it. Oh, because I'm that a lot of times too. when I a lot of times when I start playing a game again I burn out on it. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I know where this is going, right? Like I, I'm enjoying uh like I, I said a couple weeks ago I was playing Far Cry three as like kind of my off game, you know? Um, because I wanted something that was a little more action oriented. And I've like stopped playing it now and i don't know that i'll go back to it like i might but if i don't it doesn't matter because i've had that experience already it doesn't feel like i've abandoned it you know um but that being said like in terms of the game being like too free i think if you're that kind of gamer then definitely not right that's absolutely what you want that's why i think the witcher 3 is a game that like really really connected with a lot of people because if you love that game there's so much to love and that's awesome. Um, but I think for someone like you, DJ, and I think in a lot of cases for someone like me, uh, that can be something that kind of, you know, dissuades you from playing a game that you might be on the fence about. Like, 
I wanted to try Persona 5, but it wasn't something that I was, like, super eager to get into, you know? Um, whereas, like, Red Dead Redemption 2 was a game that took me months and months and months to play because it was so long. But, That's you know, a I big still problem enjoyed it throughout, and I was motivated to yeah. do it. Like, one of my biggest fears with gaming is I have a game, I put in maybe 50 hours over the course of a week or two, and mm-hmm. then something else comes up, life gets in the way, other games come out, and then by the time I have time to go back to it, I've completely forgotten. You know what I mean? So that that's that, why, like, yeah. a 25-hour to, you know, 50 hours tops experience is, like, the sweet spot for me. I agree with that. Like, that is generally where I would rather a game top out at. I would rather a game leave me wanting more than have so much that I feel like I can't do it. But I don't find that a game being free necessarily is the reason it's so long. Like, I, I think... I think Persona 5 is actually fairly linear. Yeah, there's things you can go off and you can do, but it definitely funnels you down. You need to do this palace, then this palace, then this palace, then this palace. Mm -hmm. It's not like Red Dead Redemption 2 where you've got this side quest popping up over here or you could go and collect some debt for someone over here or you can, you know, do a hundred other different things. Um, I don't like um, that kind of game. I do find it a little bit too open and too sprawling. I definitely appreciate having... Like, say, for example, in Skyrim, I'll follow the main story before I go off and do anything else. And if something else pops up in the in the middle of it, maybe I'll go and do it. But I don't actively go and seek out everything. And, like, I'm never the kind of person who's, like, a completionist and wants to collect everything in a game or do everything in a game. Like, I know you said before, when you were playing Spider-Man, you wanted to go back and get, like, um, like 100% essentially. Is that something you Yeah, I got the platinum when I went back and played the DLC, but it was because I had literally I had been working towards the platinum and the only thing I hadn't completed was the uh like the challenge mm-hmm. stuff, but I was just like this is I don't want to do this. This isn't fun anymore. Um but when they cuz I only needed it I had completed the trophy for the challenges, but I needed more challenge tokens to unlock <laughs> all the suits. Okay. But then the DLC came out and they had a bunch of easy challenges again and I was like, "Boom, got all the suits. I'm good. Platinum." <laughs> okay. But like I, I don't, I don't personally find that it's the freedom that puts me off. It's always the the length of time. Like that's what I I burnt out on Persona with is I played so much in such a short space of time that I was seventy hours in and I was like, you know what, I'm I'm done. I'm done. I've got my money's worth out of this game and I'm done with it. And I had the, a similar thing with Red Dead. I was just like, I don't want to play anymore. Like, where does this game ever like- end? I think I, I definitely get that, too, where, like, sometimes you're just ready for a game to be over. Um, and if you're not close, then it's like, all right, well, I'm, you know, I'm done with this. And, like, I've had my experience. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, per se. Um, I think it's more just, like, I feel like as gamers, you feel some level of guilt if you play a game and you don't finish it. Or if you play a game and you enjoy it and you don't finish it, you know. Um, I definitely get I, that. I totally get that, you know. And I think... To your point, Steve, I don't know that, like, openness is necessarily the problem, but I do think that games that, like... Because, yeah, Persona's linear, but there's a lot of systems that you don't fully understand until you're Mm -hmm. a bit of the ways in, you know? And, like, it is hard to know how to prioritize spending your time. And I do think things like that can be a turnoff. Because, whereas I think, like, something like... And maybe this isn't a great example because 
DJ being the use case example, he didn't connect with this game either. But like, I think about something like Breath of the Wild, where I feel like it's way easier to play it until you're done and then just go finish. Because that's what I did. Like, I didn't do all of the shrines. I didn't do all of the side quests. I hit. I I played until I felt like I had done everything that I felt like doing, and then I was like, "All right, I'm gonna go beat the game." I think and that's I perfect design. I think that's great because you can. You. I agree. Yeah, you can play it as long as you want and then finish. And that like Xenoblade's kind of that way too, although it's a little more linear than that. Um, sure, but a lot but of yeah, modern like, open world games are like that. Like most of the yeah. Ubisoft style open world games are like that. Far Cry's like that. Yeah. Uh, the Division was like that. All of those kind of things follow that same pattern, and I know that's where uh, the Breath of the Wild team got a lot of their inspiration. Like unlocking those uh, towers is essentially like climbing a radio tower in Far Cry. It's yeah, the exact same absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Like people like to talk shit, but. Those games are fun. Anyway, <clears throat> so that's what I've been playing this week. <laughs> Thanks for writing in, Zade. Uh, so, Steve, you've been playing a little more Bioshock. I have, How's yeah. How's that been going? It's, it's been going good. I've killed Andrew Ryan. Spoiler. Um, <gasps> so, so he's gone. <laughs> Great. Now I'm, trying to, now I'm trying to escape Rapture. I decided to free every single little sister, which has proven to be um, the right solution. I, fa- yeah. uh, I will say it makes the end of the game a little bit easier. So I'm very close to finishing this now. I've just got to. Yeah, you, you're like right at the end. Yeah, so I've just got to um, get out of Rapture and then I'll be done and I'll be moving on to Bioshock Probably like two. one more session and you're yeah. you're done. Yeah, most likely. Um, nice. But uh, we did another Jackbox like games night with my family this, this week, which was fun. That's yeah, fun. And I played a game I'd never played with my family before, which is um, I think it's Monster monster versus monster or something or monster love monster what's that and monster monster seeking monster and it's absolutely bizarre it's like this like dating game where you're all monsters and you've got to like go out on dates with other people and it's really weird and every single monster has like different (laughs) skills like one one might be a zombie that like eats other people like turns other people into zombies and if everyone in the game gets turned into a zombie then you win um, there was one, my, there's one which I was, which I was a witch and I collected hairs from every single person I dated and every single hair I got, I got a bonus heart for, which was really weird. Cause apparently I was making like some kind of potion. Um, but that game is great, probably with friends, but have you ever tried flirting with your parents? Because it's the most <laughs> awkward fucking thing in That's the, the world. Thing. I like, I don't feel like it's great to play with friends either. Like that was, that was one of the few Jackbox game, Jackbox games, um, that my friend, my group of friends who usually do Jackbox <laughs> yeah. together were like, this is just awkward. It's like, so it weird. Would be, I think it would be, I think it would be better with people that you don't know that well. Like if it was like an icebreaker thing, yeah. like if you were at a, a party with like your friends, friends <laughs> kind of thing. And it's like a mixed group of people that don't know each other. Yeah. I think then it could be funny and it could be like, a, Oh, like, you know, haha, let's feel each other. It's almost out. like but wife like, swap. That's <laughs> what it seems like. <laughs> sure. But like, it's super weird when it's like, all right, like let me let me try to get in my friend of ten years pants. Let's see how that goes no, while so I'm weird. sitting next to my it's wife. Really weird. You know, like it's weird. It's a weird. It's, <laughs> yeah, that, I don't know. That just seems yeah. You know what I mean? I like, can't get it's, behind. Uh, it's a sh- <laughs> but my mum told Macaulay off for like being inappropriate in the game, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because <laughs> the like chats come up on the screen afterwards. And like Macaulay had said something and, and like she'd gone inappropriate. And all, all they'd said was, I really like your dress. Do you want to go on a date with me? But it turned out that in the game, my mum was playing Macaulay's mum. And that like if Macaulay was blocked from going on a date, she got bonus hearts because she didn't want her she didn't want her kid going out on any dates. It was just absolutely weird. It was it was so bizarre. It seems yeah, strangely it's, it's, in depth. It's a very weird game. Yeah. But yeah, so we we played some of that, and then I also picked up um, what the golf this week, which I will be streaming on Monday. So if you're listening to us before Monday uh, evening, six thirty, uh, six p.m. E- uh, BST. Is that one p.m. EST? I think. Yeah. Then you can come watch me stream. Um, and I'm having a blast with it. The campaign is so much fun. The controls are so simple. Like, it's just one stick and the A button. And, like, you, mm. c- it's just so silly. Um, or it's, it's entirely touchscreen. But they've added this party mode onto um, the Nintendo Switch version. And, like, you can play two-player. And, like, we've been um, just blasting through that. It's absolutely hilarious. Like, uh you do like a, a random selection of courses as you go through and each one of those gets you like a, a life that when you get to the end of the party uh, level, you have to go off into like a battle. It takes you to like a battle arena and like there's several different ones. One where there's like rocks coming down and you have to like try and push each other into the rocks. There's one where you have to like um, shoot these uh, beach balls at each other that explode and it's just been, it, yeah, it's been really fun. So uh, I recommend What the Golf cool. is. It's a, it's a fun, strange game. Uh, and I'm, I'm that was what I had had my eye on uh, in the past, and I just never got around to it. So maybe I'll have to tune in for your stream. I don't. I don't think I'll have time for it though right now. Like I'm like drowning in games. I just bought a bunch of stuff on the PlayStation sale too because they had like a bunch of games I'd been eyeing that were like seventy to like eighty percent off. Like I think I got I got like the Days Gone Deluxe Edition for like fifteen dollars or something, and I was like, that's crazy. So I was like, yeah, all right, screw it. You. Like, I wanted to play it. I never got around to it. So, uh, not to mention all the stuff that's, like, coming out in the next few weeks. Next Friday. That's all I'm waiting for. feels crazy that games are coming out again. Next Friday. The Last of Us 2. And Pokemon's next week, too. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Pokemon's. Pokemon's from Pokemon. Yeah, yeah. I know. You're a, you're a fake-ass fan. I get it. <laughs> so, DJ, uh, you you have uh, been playing a little more Xenoblade? Yeah, I, f- I finally beat it. Um, I beat it like two days after we recorded uh, last week's show. Um, man, what a game. Like, I know I, I said all I needed to say last week, so I won't, you know, just reiterate what I've been saying. But, like, that is, I cried like three times throughout the game. Like, it's just, it's a tearjerker, <laughs> man. Good. All right. Like, it's, you get it's me so interested. Good. Yeah, it's like, you get me interested. Here's what that. I'll say. And if you don't mind me plugging Game Club real quick. Um, no, do it. Cool. That's I was. That's where I was about to drive to. If you weren't <laughs> <laughs> awesome, so yeah, we've been recording some game club stuff. The first episode, Coffee Talk, hasn't gone out yet, but we're we're working on that. But we recorded a second episode uh, with myself, um, our own Max, and John from Game Explain, John Cartwright, and um, it was all on Xenoblade Definitive Edition. And if you want to hear like an hour of thoughts about Xenoblade, head over there when when that's uh, when that's out. Which will be in July, probably. Yeah, that's probably what it's looking like. Yeah. Yeah. So keep your eyes peeled for that. And if you, like me, haven't played the game and like want to, play it now. And then you know, you'll be ready for the game club. Yeah, my final clock was like 32 hours and 11 minutes. So if you want to like steamroll it, you can. 
Um, that is steamrolling that game, believe it or not. I'll tell you what. We were talking about it on Twitter, and like the fact that you, Max, and Matt Murphy, uh, one of our Patreon supporters, a good friend of mine, um, were all saying that the uh, <laughs> that the side quests are like not that good and like don't really matter. I'm like, I could probably just mainline the story then and like get through it in like 20, 25 hours. At least on casual mode, you can totally do that. Unless you want to like grind. I did a lot of grinding. Interesting. So yeah. We'll see. Great I don't think I'll play it anytime soon, but I think that might be a game where, like, maybe I'll get to it, like, in the wrap-up season later this year or, like, early next year, like I did with Outer Worlds and stuff like that, because yeah. I'm interested in it, but there's too much on my plate right Pete, now between Pete says Persona this. and all this other Pete stuff. Pete says all this before the PS5 presentation, so he has no idea what might be I coming know. in the last house of the Oh, my God, that's true. Or beginning of next oh. year. <laughs> oh. Think of it this that's way. That's PS5 is is going to be a considerable amount of cash. Xenoblade yeah, Chronicles you know Definitive? Yeah, getting it. 60 you know it. Come on. You know I'm getting it. Come on. <laughs> Especially if what I think Steve is teasing me with is true. Mm. There's I'm some bangers. There's some bangers. Get Big it. bangers. Awesome. Just saying, man. These colors, you guys, you, you can't see it, listeners, but I'm pointing at my PlayStation yeah. tattoo. These colors don't run, baby. All right? If you can get DJ interested in the PlayStation, then you did a pretty good job. That's PlayStation Nation. <laughs> That's where I'll leave. What's it. going on? <laughs> <laughs> New spinoff show. Uh, no. Okay. Great. So Xenoblade Chronicles. Keep your eyes, eyes peeled for the game club. Um, and at go go come talk to me on Twitter at loud underscore Pete and tell me why I should play it because people are trying to sell me on it. Keep selling. Yeah, I'm interested. All right. So we're gonna jump into the news. Uh, first up, we had a little piece of news that I know Steve and I are very excited about. Oh CrossCode is coming to Nintendo Switch and other consoles on uh, July 9th. So CrossCode is a game we've talked about in the past. It came out in, on PC in, like, I think the fall of 2018. Mm-hmm. And then it was announced to be coming to consoles in January of uh, 2019. So we've been waiting for it for, a, like, a while now. Uh, but it was a game that Jason Schreier really loved, who Steve and I are both a, a big fan of. So it's been on our radar. We've talked about it a good amount, about how much we've been waiting for the Switch version. Um, so here's my thing, though, Steve. Why? Why is it coming out? It's coming out with all these other things. I know. It's crazy. Like, I'm hoping, though, that this is going to be something that you can like dip in and out of. But then I yeah. feel like I'm going to get like hooked and I'm not going to want to play anything else. I know. And like uh, the article that Chloe wrote up about it, like it's supposed to take like 30 hours. Yeah. It's like a pretty big game. This special edition like, looks hella good. It does look cool. I kind of want it. But I'm also like, I've never played this game. I'm, so I'm not waiting for the special edition. I'm getting this. Well, from oh, it's later? Yeah. Okay. The- well, that's the thing, though, right? Because it's like, here's the thing. It's coming out like a week before Ghost of Tsushima and Paper Mario. I know. Yeah. Like, fuck! Come on! And, and it's apparently 30 hours? That's Yeah, that's like, hard. that really sucks. That's yeah. such bad timing. If it was a quick 5, 10 hours, then it's like, okay, I can knock that out, but... Yeah, be- right. Like, if it if it was like a digestible-ish indie game, but like 30 hours is like nothing to shake a stick uh, at. I want to do a game club on this, though, because I am so excited for, for CrossCode. <laughs> so excited. Steve, Steve, let's do a game club on it. Yes. Because then we have to play yes. it. Okay. Perfect. I mean, do you know, the, the whole like backstory of why this has took so long, they put a blog post out about it. It's it absolutely oh, fascinating. Like, 
the game was originally built in HTML and CSS and JavaScript, so it just basically runs in like a, a web browser on a computer. When you download it from Steam, it's just running a web browser. Wow. They can't, they couldn't run it like that on consoles. They had to recode and like transcode all of their stuff into C++. So they basically had to rewrite nice. the whole game to get it to function on consoles, which is just fascinating. It's funny, like, when that happens with an indie game, like, when it, it blows up like that, and they're like, crap. It's like, <laughs> why did we choose this? Because I, I remember that was, I don't remember what they made it in, uh, but I remember Toby Fox had that problem with Undertale. Oh, for real? Where it was like, oh, Undertale, like, might, you know, it'll be really tough to get it on consoles because of, like, the way I made it. And it's like, oh, crap. <laughs> they had That's like an indie studio, like, remade the game. Yeah. You know, in a new engine to... To get it, uh, to get it to run on on PlayStation and Switch and everything, so yeah, it's wild when that happens. But uh, if you're not familiar, if you haven't heard us talk about it in the past, um, it's like a retro-inspired 2D action RPG, and the main character is a, a girl named Leah who plays an MMO called Crossworld, and um, like the game takes place. Like in the MMO, but there's some stuff in the real world, and yeah, like she can go around and she can talk to people who are currently playing in the MMO, and like I, I think there's like some inside jokes and stuff. So I think basically everyone's like obsessed with this game. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just interested. I'm just really interested in it. Like the it was really was Jason Schreier on um, and uh, Kirk Hamilton on the Kotaku Split Screen podcast now uh, Triple Click that really got me interested in this. Yeah, same. Like it was just to me. He was he posted a bunch of like videos and screenshots of it, and was just like, "This game's amazing! Like, don't let it, don't sleep on it," kind of thing. And um, it just it just always looked interesting to me. Like, it definitely has that like classic JRPG like slash you know top down Zelda like kind of vibe to it. And obviously, that's something that strikes a chord with me. And next so, up, uh, I, I hope for Disco Elysium announcement for for Switch at some point. Well, we know it's coming. Yeah, but they just haven't officially announced it or a date. No date, though. No. Right. So, we'll, we'll see. I bet it's coming. I bet it's coming soon. Because they said 2020. I think they said fall 2020. Okay. I, I, can, I right? can live with fall 2020. There's usually a... That'd be all right. Oh, no. There's something else coming out in fall 2020. Cyberpunk. <laughs> it's going to be... It's. This is... What a year. What a tough year. What a tough year to be a gamer. <laughs> Speaking of gaming in 2020, uh, the biggest game of 2020, of course, was Animal Crossing. Has been Animal Crossing so far. Uh, And we have a little update on the game's just absolute massive success. Uh, So this is coming from... um, It's from... The article I'm citing is from US Gamer, but the original report is from Famitsu and it's been translated. So, like, take it with a grain of salt, obviously, you know, because... Japanese English translation, like, you know, um, there could be something lost there. But uh, the game has crossed 10 million units sold on the eShop. It's bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Which is, again, crazy because it's already the record holder. <laughs> so, like, it's got uh, – it's like there's so many things that can – or I'm sorry. It's a record holder for most copies sold in March. So, never mind. That wouldn't impact this. Um but yeah, I mean that's that's incredible. Yeah, but this is put like even just for the the digital only sales, you're you're uh, you're only ha- halfway to like Super Smash Brothers. Like Super Smash has sold like nineteen million copies. 
Right. If you add the physical to that, it must have it must be getting up to overtaking it as the number two. Well, I uh, I'm not sure. I I think it, it, the the article that I'm looking at says that overall sales are still sitting at 13 million worldwide. Okay. But that's as of May. Yeah, I was gonna say that was what they reported at the um the, the financial results. The financial results, right? Yeah. So like, it's still who's such to say? a crazy number. Yeah. Like, imagine your game uh, selling like five times the amount of like new Mario U or what? How much did new Mario U sell? Like between like two and five million or something, something combined. Like, that, yeah. like, imagine just like obliterating you that just on Mario. the eShop. Yeah. Like that's just wild, wild to me. Um, I'm gonna pull a question out of the um, the mail pot here from uh, <clears throat> one of our Patreon supporters, Left Eye, Left Eye Lazy, who says, "Do you think New Horizons was a bigger release than Sword Shield?" Yeah, I do. Massively, yeah, mm-hmm. it's like unquestionably. Yeah. Um, like obviously, Sword and Shield had its moment, but I think like we all it was expected more. Like Pokemon, yeah, and it was marred with that. a little bit of controversy too. Like, and I don't think it was like. I don't think you could call it as successful a launch because I feel like despite the problems that exist with New Horizons, I it was an overtly positive launch, and I think the reaction of the game has been overwhelmingly positive. So yeah, uh, it's it's crazy, crazy to see, crazy to see it's still putting up those numbers, and you know I I'm just interested to see what the ceiling on this thing is really. All right, so we're gonna jump back into the mail pot now. Uh, <clears throat> this one comes from. Trendy Brendy, who wrote in to me over again at Pete at Lupots.com and asks, Hey, Pete, Steven Deej. I like that he wrote, he wrote out Pete, Steven Deej all with EEs. So it's like Pete, like Pete Moss, Steve, S T E E V, and Deej, D E E J. I like it. I like it. Thanks. Thanks, Brendy. Keeping it, keeping it creative. Question for this week since the Pokemon DLC will be out the week, the week of this podcast. Uh, so when this posts, that's the next Monday. Uh, should Pokemon have gone into more detail about what's included in the DLC since we're paying for it? Or not, because technically all the Pokemon are coming in a free update. I liked having surprises in the main game, like uh, seeing Galarian Meowth for the first time was amazing, but I feel like more details would have been appreciated to make a more informed buying decision for DLC specifically. Thanks for the cast, Trendy Brendy. Trendy Brendy. Excuse me. Falling over myself. <laughs> yeah, like I've actually thought about this a lot. Um, because as much as I liked the surprises in the main games, it opened up a lot of disappointment too. Um, but I, I feel like in general, I am more inclined to lean more towards wanting more information about the DLC before I jump into it. I got it anyway, and what I've seen is enough for me to pay for it, just because I wanted the new Reggies and the uh, legendary birds, the Galarian forms. But... I could totally see the point of view of wanting more information before jumping in. So, but you always have the option of waiting, seeing what's available and then jumping in, you know? I think that's precisely where I come down on it, where I think I think that that in this scenario, they're banking on the idea that if you liked Pokémon Sword and Shield, you'll have an idea of if you want more of it, right? Like if you played the game and you and you're still playing, you're going to buy the DLC cuz you want more content. If you bought it and liked it and, you know, would like to play more Pokemon and, you know, are itching for something new or you've seen the trailer and something piqued your interest, you'll probably buy it anyway. And if you're on the fence and 
you know, whatever, you'll just wait and read the reviews or check out Let's Plays or streams or whatever, and that'll make the decision for you. So to me, I'd kind of prefer this approach because then, like, I feel like I've seen almost nothing, and that makes me feel like I can go in and, like, have a fresh experience and be surprised by things, which is, to your point, like, that was something I really liked about Sword and Shield was that I felt the ability to do that because I intentionally avoided a lot of the you know information and leaks and stuff yeah. but also that i felt like nintendo's marketing strategy or the pokemon company's marketing strategy maybe more aptly uh didn't feel like as much of a blitzkrieg as it did with uh sun and moon where it was just like yeah. I, I felt like i had seen the entire fucking game before i even yeah i just it, remember you know? that like e3 treehouse like what was it 2016 or whatever and then on their twitter it was like every other day it's like here's the other pokemon we here's a new move here's here's this character yeah. here's this character you know like I, I kind of like the more reserved approach. I agree. Um, I, I think that is true for the main game. But I could see, like, I, I don't I don't always consider it a fair comparison between the main game and DLC. You know what I mean? I, I, but I, I feel even more comfortable with it with DLC because I feel like you know if you liked Pokemon Sword and Shield or not, right? Like, you have an idea of what the expectation is. Yeah, but if you're paying 30 um, bucks, it's like, okay, am I just getting you know, a better looking tree and a few more Pokemon or am I getting 20 hours of content? Like, what am I getting? Yeah, but that's the thing, right? I think, I think we know, right? Like we know that there's a whole new story, that there are new Pokemon, that there are, you know, uh, there's a new, old, a new wild area. Like you have a baseline of expectation and I think it's fair to be like, well, yeah, I'd like to know how many hours it is, but it's like, if you really feel that way, then like, don't pre-order it, you know, like wait. Yeah. And hear what people think. Like, yeah, I just why... I get I get worried about Pokemon because it all gets kind of spoiled for you. So I I like the idea of playing it on release and taking that gamble, but I I feel like they could have benefited from maybe tripping a little bit more information. I'll definitely concede. I feel like a little bit more information being shared wouldn't have been a bad thing because like, somewhere in between Sun and Moon and, and Sword yeah. and Shield. Yeah, we've seen very, very, very little. See, from an outside perspective, someone who hasn't played the game, I actually think there's been enough content. Like like you said, Pete, I knew that it was a new wild area. I knew that there was a new storyline. I know where they're both set. One's like off the coast of... One's like Scotland and one's like the Isle of Man. Right. And and I know that the story is like set in two towers or something. I mean, I, I've hardly been paying any attention because I really don't care about Pokemon. But um, but, but that's the thing. You see, You see all that. Right, and you you see that, and people are saying there's this story. Okay, but is it is it like a story? Like, are we expecting a real story? I mean, my guess just... is it's similar to the the main game, but like just shorter. That's all I would want to know. Like, I, I say for example, a game I'm really really hyped for. Like, I I can't wait for The Last of Us Two next week. I've muted. I, haven't, it. I stopped watching trailers. I've, I haven't watched a single trailer. I didn't watch their like reveal event where they showed off any gameplay because I was like, I've seen enough. I know I want it. Like if you've played Pokemon uh, Sword and Shield and you want more Pokemon Sword and Shield, I think that's really why the, that's what should sell you on the DLC. And I'm yeah. a big proponent of do not pre-order a game until you've seen a review. We've definitely seen that in the last couple of weeks with the Outer Worlds. Like if you pre-ordered that game and it showed up and you had no idea what it was going to be like. And we hadn't seen reviews and video game footage of how dismal that looks and plays. You could end up being really disappointed. Like, if you're not 100% sure yet on the Pokemon DLC, don't buy it until you've seen a review or 
this heard someone that you respect and uh, appreciate their opinion. You know, if you're listening to us every week and you want to know what our view is on it, I'm sure Pete and DJ will be playing it next week. Don't worry, we're chumps. We'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just listen to what they think and, like, you know, if you respect their opinion, um, then go based on that. Which, I mean, I guess you do because you wrote into the show. Thanks again. <clears throat> All right, so this next one uh, comes from another one of our Patreon supporters, uh, Doc, who it was funny. He titled it. He's like, ha, it's me, Doc, but I wrote an email instead. <laughs> said, with Nintendo not doing any more directs that we can see in the foreseeable future and all the other companies backing out, do you think E3 is permanently done for or just a serious formula change? It's, it's done. It's, it's done. It's dusted. It, the coffin was like it was one there was one now left for that coffin seemingly after all the data leaks and most people seemingly doing all their events anyway sony had left this year before even the, the pandemic had happened uh microsoft i mean they were they didn't go last year no they, they did go last year they had that weird thing with the tent and they showed the the last of us off and they had like two other games that they showed and that was it it was really bizarre no that wasn't that was two years ago oh really yeah. Wow. Okay. We, uh, yeah. Then I, I really don't see who else is there. Then if uh, I don't, yeah. Okay. They're definitely dead. Yeah, I, I feel like opening it to the public really hurt it because I remember going in 2018, and I couldn't. I, I was maybe able to play 10% of the games I actually wanted to play and try, um, and you found yourself just kind of walking around and not being able to do anything. And like, okay, fair enough. I don't think that really speaks to whether the whole experience should just, you know, go away. But yeah, like between data leaks, you know, personal information leaks, you know, you you, you piss off the public, the general public, because they can't play any games. And you basically, you know, have, what am I thinking of? Like uh, journalists and all these people having their data leaked and you're pissing off both sides. You know, and you're screwing them over. I mean, it's just not a good look. So, so <clears throat> I uh, I'm gonna play devil's advocate to that position because I think um, I think that fans and uh, pundits of like our level have a much different opinion of E3 than um, like more traditional gaming press because I think the overwhelming um, number of opinions that I've seen from, you know, any of the pundits that I follow that are, you know, in that echelon of, like, your IGNs or, you know, your game spots or whatever, um, all of them are expressing that they miss E3 and that it sucks that it's not happening. But, um, but everyone and I've I heard think... that said that said they miss E3 before they opened it to the public. Yeah, but, well, the well, the I, the press the press E three is a way way better experience than a general public E three. Yeah, right. Like definitely, you know, and, and I think ultimately, but just enjoy I think it at that's home. Kind of the, I think that's kind of the problem, right? Is that like I think E three felt like it needed to evolve to be a consumer show because that would make more money, but I think that that negatively impacted what E three was. Um, but all, all that said, right, like, I don't think that any of that would have mattered if E3 happened this year and it was good. But I think that given, like, Jeff Keighley pulling out and uh, I am 8-bit, like, you know, 
Um, and him, like, the two of them leaving at the same time to go do their own competing thing. And, like, I think that the overall decentralization of E3, like, seemed like it was probably happening anyway. But with this year, like, missing it and all the companies that are going to save money, not being a part of it and seeing that they can do their own event, um, I, I, I do think is uh, – I do think that that probably means it's permanently done for. That being said – I also think that next year, if, um, you know, knock on wood, right, like if we have a uh, a vaccine that actually allows events of E3 and Comic-Con and what have you's magnitude to actually happen again next year, I wouldn't be surprised if they do throw an E3 2021 and try to, you know, um, save, the, save the brand and keep it going. Uh, and I think the success or failure of that is is going to be the deciding factor because if what we're saying and what I think a lot of people at our level and, and fans and stuff seem to be saying where it's like, you know, fuck E3 and fuck the ESA and we don't need it anymore and blah, blah, blah. If, you know, if we all show up for all these smaller events and publishers feel that way, then, yeah, we're done. But if enough of them decide next year that they're like willing to go back and continue that partnership and support then. And it's a good year. Like that could just as easily put it back on track. Uh, I just, and, and we'll, we'll chalk up this year to being, Oh, well COVID happened. I just don't see there's any way Jeff's going to be coming back next year, probably with this summer of games. It's going to be bigger, way bigger and more organized than it was this year. He's already had some heavy hit in reveals this year. And I think it's, it's fizzled out quite a bit though. Huh? I think it's fizzled out. It has fizzled out, but then IGN's doing their own thing as well. And I think now Sony did their own thing today. Like, everyone's doing their own thing. And they want to have their own... I think they want to have their own space to do it. Bethesda and EA were already doing kind of their own thing. Like, Bethesda but was here, But here's the thing, though, right? Site. And you're, you're right that that's what everybody wants, but not everybody gets the same level of attention. Uh, and we talked about this last week when we talked about the, necess- the necessity of the Nintendo Direct... Right where the Nintendo Direct makes announcements that you don't give a fuck about matter. Yeah. And I don't think that you can argue that Bethesda and EA and Ubisoft and, and all of those publishers have the same level of, uh, of fan base that Nintendo or PlayStation or Xbox does. I think like, people tune in to EA to see the new FIFA. People tune in to like, an Activision event to see the new Call of Duty. Or they'll tune into yeah. EA to see what new stuff they've added to, like, um, or see the new Star Wars game. Yeah, you're you're not wrong that people will tune in, but it's not the same level of people. I don't think. Like, look at look at how like how many people watch the state of play mm-hmm. that intent or that Sony puts out, right? Like, it's the, those brands are not as strong as E3, and it's not to say that they can't be, but I think that like. You need to dedicate a certain amount of resources and have a certain level of consistency to make things like that stick. And if these companies do put the resources forward to do something like that and it doesn't get the same numbers or the same attention that they got as a part of E3, they might be thinking about an alternative next year. And if something like Keeley Summer of Games can step up to the plate and replace E3, then yeah, like fine. But the, I think that though that brand is also like if this is the w- one year we have to look back on it, 
and it was like, oh, that Tony Hawk reveal was dope. And then what mm-hmm. else really was a part of that? But, like, but you know, I could you see. You know what I mean? Like, but I could see Sony all of these and... events are smaller because they're not E3 because it's not a week. It's, oh, across two months, everybody's going to do these smaller events that barely anybody is really like actually tuning into compared to the number of people that like take time off and like pay attention to E3. Yeah, but there's no reason that next year, when it's more organized and more planned, that Sony and Microsoft and Nintendo don't all do their own thing, and those become the showcases. Like, Microsoft's show at E3 was really where you saw most of the third-party stuff anyway. It's where Cyberpunk was revealed, for example. And uh, Sony always dedicated theirs to, like, first-party stuff. But they kind of changed that a lot today. And... Nintendo has focused a lot on first-party stuff at E3, but they've also had like big third-party reveals like Fortnite coming to the Our the indies. Switch, a, lo- a load of indies, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I could see that those three kind of do the continue to do their own thing if he, if uh, E3 never came back. I don't think you need E3. I don't think it's necessary. That I don't think those three companies need th- E3 by any stretch of the imagination. I think that it's it's going to be more interesting to see if an Ubisoft or a Bethesda or whoever can drum up the same level of interest in their own event. And if not, do we see them all band together and continue to support E3? And maybe E3 gets smaller, but I don't know. That's the thing is I don't, I don't think it's as cut and, cut and dry as people think. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, brands – mean something yeah um and i know that people like don't like that idea but it's the truth e3 means something to every gamer right to the gamers that like we were talking earlier about my friend uh who was playing persona right he plays a ton of games but like he doesn't listen to a bunch of video game podcasts or read polygon or all that shit every day and like he's not on twitter so it's like you know video games are like a thing that is active in in a lot of people's lives, even though they might not cross over to like the enthusiast level, right? And I think to those people, E3 is a name and a brand that they recognize and they understand. And even if they're not uh, taking off work or whatever or watching the conferences, they are going to, you know, reach out to their friends or go and find the IGN roundup and be like, what happened? What got announced, you know? Um, And that's something that, none of these events that we've talked about, these these competitors, these replacement events, none of them can claim that. And today's Sony event is not analogous. It's a console reveal. Sony's PlayStation 4 reveal was also not at an E3 or something like that. It was its own event, and it was its own highlight because it's fucking PlayStation. And that's that's different. That moves the market in a way that, like, EA being like, let's take a look at the latest FIFA, or let's show the latest way we're fucking up Star Wars is, like, that's not the same – it's not the same caliber of event. It doesn't move the needle for, like, the average person as much. Um, so that is, I think, the thing that still makes me think that there's – it's still somewhat up in the air. Like, I lean more on the side of E3 is dead, but nothing in video games is ever truly dead. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I, I personally think that EA is going to continue to try and do their own thing. 
Like they've been trying to kind of step away from E3 with that EA yeah. Play thing for yeah, about I mean, five shit, years. They do it in the same week as yeah. E3, and it's right next door. Like <laughs> they're uh, piggybacking off of that event, you know. And Ubisoft has been doing their own thing without E3. They like revealed the new Assassin's Creed, and I think that gameplay is probably going to show up on the Xbox event because they've had that very tight connection with Xbox, <laughs> or maybe a Stadia event if that thing's still alive. They seem to be like like Google. Gods and Monsters uh, Stadia footage leaked today, so who knows? Yeah. Is anyone actually subscribing to that, though? Who the fuck? <laughs> Ram. Ram's still, still using it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so <clears throat> this next one, uh, similar vein, this one comes from our own Danny California, who says, so the ESA sucks, right? But I think most of us agree that a week of gaming celebration is better than four months of random announcements. Do you think we'll ever see a happy medium where we get an E3 run by, like, a good ESA or at least an E3 equivalent not from the ESA? I think it's the E3 equivalent not from the ESA where where they say we're going to do it maybe over two or three weeks and we, like, pull the announcements together. Because, like you said, I think Jeff's is just is too long over like that very long whole of summer no one even even knows what summer is and i think it's too disorganized like i think every one of these events um has felt very much like question mark what's gonna happen and then like i don't care if i don't know that's another thing that i think is an advantage of e3 that people don't aren't acknowledging as much where it's like the only way to see all of the summer events is to go to jeff grubb's twitter and look at his fucking screenshot of a spreadsheet he made like that's not a good solution whereas like with e3 you could look and be like well at this time i know two weeks ahead that this is when xbox's conference is i know that this is when sony's conference is and you can like plan around that a little bit yeah but they can do that anyway like people can announce ahead of time i think that's just been the problem that nobody's really known how to react to e3 not existing like that's, and like right. Sony didn't even know when they were going to have their date ready. It was like a day later than the the leaked date that um, Jason Schreier Well, then Schreier they had to put. postpone it. And yeah, everything. yeah, but even then, like Jason Schreier said that he'd had like three different dates before they settled on June third, and even then it got moved to June fourth, and then obviously because everything happened, it got moved again, um, which absolutely was the right thing to do, but. I think just no one's known how to react to things this year. But next yeah. year, I think, when everything's settled down, hopefully, I think you could easily see just people going, we're going to do a huge announcement then. Because when Nintendo does it, like we said before, everyone kind of just stops. And it's just like, oh, there's a Nintendo Direct. We're all going to focus and report on that. And that's just what the focus is going to be this week. Right, right. But again, I, I think the Nintendo Direct is, again, that's a brand that means something because they've been doing it for, what, 13 years? Yeah, but like, like, forget the state of play because I think that's a stupid name anyway. But if it's just like, we're, when they went, we're revealing the PS5, millions of people tuned in. You can't, you can't no, I know compare you can. that. But that's not the like, same thing. But if it's like, we're doing a presentation where we're going to reveal some news about a new Uncharted game or something. Like, when they said, we've got some Pokemon news, everyone tunes in, even though it could just be a Pokemon tournament remake or something. Yeah, yeah, and I think that there's an argument to be made there where, like, these companies could work on branding and stuff like that. and do. But again, like, that's, those are a lot of variables that, like, if you work with the ESA or Jeff Keighley's Summer of Games or whoever, you don't have to do that. And, like, Nintendo has a brand built around that, but they, it took them a long time and it took a level of consistency. And like, not to mention that when it first started, it was something driven from the top down, right? Like Awada was the fucking president of the company. And he's like, here's me making a fucking presentation. Like that 
not every company has that. Not every company has an Awada or a Miyamoto. Like who who do you know at Sony that it's still there that has that level of name face recognition? Like that kind of thing. Like those are all factors that I think like we compare things that are not fair comparisons. Like a console reveal gets a pop in a way that, you know, whatever, like, oh, here's Concrete Genie doesn't, right? Uncharted, sure, but how many of those do you have in your chamber, too? You know, like, so I, the answer is yes. Either the ESA will get their shit together and E3 will survive, or it won't, and I think that a Jeff Keighley or a similar organization is going to come along and find a way to bring everyone together and re replicate why that works. Okay. Woo! So, <laughs> <laughs> this next one comes from Asobi. He says, hey there, potheads. Here are my questions for the week. Let's finally settle this age-old question. What's the best 2D Zelda game and what's the best 3D Zelda game and why? Remakes and remasters count, too, uh, according. Uh, link but, link but, to yeah, the past. of course they do. 2D's Link to the Past. And okay. 3D's Breath of the Wild. Alright. I don't think I need a Y for those. Like they're just No, I think that's yeah, fair. They're just both classics. Um I would say for me it's Link's Awakening 2D and uh and Breath of the Wild I would give for 3D as well. The Link's Awakening remake? Or both. the original? Doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, they're both great. That's my that's my favorite. I like it. There you go. Settled. Boom. That's the definitive answer now. Okay. And, and DJ's just like not a Zelda fan at all. He's like, I've never played any of them. Got so. Link's Awakening remake <laughs> is, uh, is pretty fun. Can I Boom. put in that um, Cadence of Hyrule as a possible contender for 2D favorite? Because no. I love no. that game so much. <laughs> you, you can say you like it that much, but it's, it's no not canon. a contender for the best <laughs> one. Get out of here. <laughs> Uh, number two, with PlayStation doing its big event, are you feeling the next-gen hype yet? And do you also have any cool stories from times when you've been excited for a console's release? Yes, 100% I'm feeling the hype. The hype is real, yeah. yes. Massively real. I'm very, very excited. Um, but I don't I don't think I have a great story, but it's, I mean, the PlayStation 4 reveal, uh, I, I thought that was, like, the perfect console reveal event. Um, it was... Hyped up. It was exciting. They told us every technical thing that we didn't really, like, need to hear. But, like, it sounds cool. And, like, developers contextualize it later. And you're like, all right, neat. That sounds great. You know, I think but then they also, like, they got the messaging right where it was just like, hey, remember how fucked up Xbox sounds? <laughs> We're better. We're for gamers. This is it's $400. DRM free. What's up? What's up? What's it up? It was that like video <laughs> they did after that was like, uh, here's how you share a game on PlayStation. It's like handing the game over to someone. And that's <laughs> just it. <laughs> Such a dig. Like, yeah, man. I, so... That to me was – that got me so excited because it was – I was such a big Sony fan growing up and I hadn't had a PlayStation 3 because it was too expensive at launch and then I just never could afford it. Um, so like when they came out and told me every single thing I wanted to hear and showed me games I wanted to play, I was like, I'm in. I'm here. Yeah, that's fair. I mean the Xbox 360 was the better console anyway of that generation. I, I would argue – I would agree that it was the better console like, from a hardware perspective, but like Sony's library is better. No, I don't I don't think so. I think I think Halo, Gears of War, uh, Bioshock was originally an exclusive on Xbox 360 that eventually but finally came to PS3. This but is a Nintendo show. What is wrong with you both? 
<laughs> Oops. Sobe. <laughs> he wrote it in Baba. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. Best console that generation, Nintendo Wii, okay? <laughs> it got Xenoblade. Come on. Fair. Fair. All right. Uh, third question. I just wanted to remind you of something that I love to interact with back on the PS3, PlayStation Home. Did you guys play it? Any stories or thoughts on PlayStation Home? I have no idea. Are you guys familiar is. with what it is? No clue. Yeah, it's like a, it was like the weird Second Life thing. Yeah, it was like Second did. Life. Yeah, it was so it was bizarre. so weird. Uh, Hard out. Nope. I, I've never played it. I just – I had a friend – that had access to it and like showed me it once. And I was like, this is the weirdest fucking thing ever. Why would anyone ever play this? Yeah. I went on it like twice and I, it was basically like a chat room and I was like, what's the point in this? This is just bizarre. And I left it and I deleted it and I just walked away. Perfect. <laughs> Great answer. Best. Asobi. <laughs> thanks Asobi. Appreciate it. Man. All right. Thanks buddy. Uh, so the, these next couple uh, come – or I'm sorry, just this next one comes from our Discord. There's another one from Left Eye Lazy who says, what's caught your eye on sale on the eShop right now? I haven't checked out the sale. Is there anything good on there? I mean, I if you haven't – Yeah. If you haven't yet played Mario Rabbids, it's like £11 yeah. pounds at the moment. Oh, that's a steal. Yeah, so I, I'm trying to convince Macaulay to just like go through the eShop and just buy a bunch of these classic games. Spyro and Crash are both half price. So I'm is what seriously... the goth on sale or is it just like no it's bigger... not on sale okay no but I'm, I'm thinking of getting Unravel 2 for £6 at the moment and like oh, um, wow. all the super giant games are on sale like Bastion's like 2 quid and then like nice. there's a ton of stuff in there so I, I need to have a proper dig through and, and see what's on sale I'm taking a look right now um games on sale catch my eye let's just put it that way that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why everyone does it. It's like ninety percent off. Yes. That's why I bought a bunch of games that I have no time to play on the PlayStation. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I gotta be honest with you, there's not a ton that's grabbing my attention because most of the games that I'm seeing I already own. Yeah, that was my uh Wargroove is only ten bucks. Oh. I love Wargroove. Fifty percent off is a that's a great deal for that game. Oh, Coffee Talks uh ten thirty nine. Yeah. Um I saw if you want to get that in preparation for our, uh, our first game club, that would be a good one to grab. Uh, Okami HD's only 10 bucks. That's pretty good, too. Yeah, there's some good stuff here. Definitely some good stuff. Uh, all right, cool. Check it out. All right. Um, <laughs> this one... You know what? Okay. Parker, our buddy from Fanatics 4, wrote in with a question that I'm going to save for After Dark. So thank you for writing in, Parker. Uh, you can catch that one for a buck in uh after dark <laughs> so all right head over to the main topic this one so I, we had a follow-up from last week if you'll recall uh or maybe it was last week maybe it was two weeks ago we had a little debate about remake remakes versus remasters and their quality you know how they should qualify in a game of the year discussion um we have a comment from doc uh as well as a fucking essay from ram which i asked for and geez, did I not expect to get it? But all right, we got it. So <laughs> I'm going to read Doc's comment first. Doc said, Game of the Year. A game produced within recent years and released for the first time in the year that it's being qualified. Resident Evil 1996 ported to GameCube in 2002, not qualified for Game of the Year 2002. Resident Evil 1998 remade from scratch in 2019, contender for remake of 2019, but officially belongs to 2019. I would say remakes go in their own category. Like, I wouldn't call the re-release of Ocarina through the collector's disc as a contender for Game of the Year because it's just a port. 
So I feel like that's a fair baseline. I agree. Yeah. But I also feel like it gets more nuanced than that. And that's the problem is when you get into some of these murky kind it's of games. The, we've added like, feature stuff. Like we've revamped the controls and the um, action and the combat in Xenoblade. Or we've added a bunch of nice oh, to Xenoblade have updated stuff that Royal. I didn't even know about. Like to the point where that should definitely be a contender for game of the year this year. In my opinion. So in that, that I think is what's very interesting. So this was something that Ram and I talked about. um, And I didn't realize that when he was asking me these questions, they were so that he could write an essay. But let's, 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 we'll jump in. We'll jump in. You guys want to respond or interrupt? Feel free to hop right in and, you know, give Ram the bit. Ram needs to publish this on the site. I read his, his essay. Why is this not published on the site? This really needs to go up. Yeah, I know. Like that's I love Rams just like, oh I wrote a feature that you could just just read it on the show. <laughs> on You're gonna read it all? No, we can't read this. It's three fucking pages. He was like, You gotta read the whole thing and I was like, Yeah, we got nothing and then everybody wrote it. That's what I was gonna say. Show. I was like, We're at an hour in already. We're gonna read it all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ram should record it as just like an audiobook form for us and then we can just slot it in. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah. I I, I agree with, with what um he was saying in general, though. But if you want to read some excerpts from it, then yeah. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll read a little bit here, mm-hmm. and we'll figure out we'll figure out how the rest of this gets heard by the people. <laughs> but uh, so Ram writes with remakes becoming more and more varied from their original counterparts, and the lines between them, definitive editions and remasters, becoming more variable. It's become difficult to be able to distinguish what's the original game, but presumably better. Uh, and what's a new game? Resident Evil 2 Remake, Resident Evil 3 Remake, and Final Fantasy 7 Remake, uh, while the last is debatable as to its remake status, are all clear examples of titles that are called remakes but are distinct enough to be considered new games. So what of more similar titles? Definitive editions, remakes in Line of Link's Awakening, and remasters. Where is that line drawn? I'm going to draw conclusions based on edge cases and piece together what criteria for a remake is, uh, that is eligible for a current game of the year and what is too similar to a past year's game. So again, this is three pages. Ram writes three fucking pages. It's like, what are you, you kidding me? This is, this is a great feature. What are you doing to me? You're just trying to make this an audiobook? No, we're putting this up on the website. We're going to get this up there. But what I liked about this was the, the establishment of the comparison of Xenoblade Chronicles um, Definitive Edition as well as games like, uh, <clears throat> like Dragon Quest XI-S. Right and like those more kind of like this game but better versus like a Link's Awakening, which I feel like feels a little bit different. And I think that's like where we got really tripped up when we had this conversation previously. Right? Is like where does where does a game like that fit into that conversation? And Steve, you you are arguing like you feel like it's. That's not enough of a jump. No, it's not. Uh, I think if you're going to do it, it has to be its own category that we say like best remaster or best in best enhanced version. But I don't think that that's enough for it to be classified as a new game. You know, if 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 it was a new game, it, I think you would give it like Xenoblade, for example. It wouldn't be recognizable from the the first game it looks so similar when you look at the video footage it, it clearly just looks like a an upgraded visually version and i know there's been a lot of the gameplay stuff improved and and enhanced but i i still don't think it it fits into this is a brand new game i don't think anyone would look at that and say this is a brand new game see i, I what about i feel like 
there's I'm not going to spoil anything, but there is something in the PlayStation 5 event where I feel like it completely is out of the conversation even though there is some new stuff to it, right? But I think that is that gives credence to the, you know, it's getting grayer and grayer. The line needs to get finer. But <clears throat> yeah, it depends cuz it's more than in Xenoblade's case, it's more than a graphical upgrade. You also have like these intricate quality of life changes to the point where, you know, back in the Wii version, when you're on the mini map, it's just like a flag and you follow a flag. Now there's like the line. They added a whole new casual mode. They added, you know, between 10 and 15 hours of future connected content. Yeah, but they the future connected all the stuff music. to me, the future connected stuff to me is just like a DLC. Like they've added that on. If they'd have released that back in the day as like a DLC, then it would have just been like they included it, you know. And yeah, that to I, me is I, like, I see that point. I see that point, but by no means is it, in my opinion, because like Torna and Xenoblade Two, that's DLC. Then, then maybe Future Connected could be a contender for Game of the Year if that's it's not brand new and fresh. Yeah, I mean, I that's think the it, problem. it completes the experience, but makes it new enough for it to be a a contender. But it it depends. Do you consider like completely revamped music, like musicians into a studio to redo these songs? Do you consider that part of what what can make a game new beyond gameplay? I, th- I think it can, and that's something that, I think that Ram too. brings up. That's something that Ram brings up here where like the one of the conversation or um one of the comparisons that is made is with Link's Awakening, right? Where I would definitely argue that that's a new game uh compared to the original. Um and one of the comparisons I made when Ram and I were having our private discussion was I think of like you look at like a Link's Awakening, right? And that to me feels more analogous to um like a film being remade, right? Like, but something like a, um, you know, like like I'm playing Persona 5 Royal, so I'll use that example because I haven't played uh, Xenoblade and I can't really speak to that. But like Persona 5 Royal to me feels more akin to like the director's It's the director's cut, cut right. Right, but like I think like looking at Link's Awakening, that to me is like a complete reimagining of a totally different game for one thing. So like the visual presentation I think matters a lot. And I don't think that that's as analogous to um, like the point you're making about Xenoblade where like there, there are things that are like shot for shot recreations there that like do look very similar. It just looks smoother. Whereas like obviously moving from pixel art to like a 3d style is like a little bit more of a, of a jump. But even so, like I think Presentational changes do definitely matter in my mind. But I think that where it gets interesting or where I feel like it really makes the difference is with what DJ is talking about, which is like how much does what they've changed change the way you play the game? Because like when you look at Link's Awakening, right? Um, on the Game Boy, you can only use two items at a time, right? Like you can only use an item map to A and an item map to B. Whereas in... Uh, Link's Awakening on the Switch, like you can use four items at a time. That completely changes the flow of battle and the way that you move through certain parts of the game, um, and how easy it is to do certain things. And like that matters. And I think like um, 
there's a lot of other like smaller quality of life changes, but like it's like the idea of you know when you change certain elements of a game that like really really fundamentally change the flow of it or the way that you engage with it along with like presentational changes, I feel like that does matter. Here's another Xenoblade example. Um, in the Wii version, well, there's this thing called topple and break. So you topple and break an enemy. And you do that by inflicting a certain art. And in the original, you could only, like, uh, you can inflict, like, uh, critical damage if you're, like, behind the enemy, for example. But you had no way of knowing. Now, in this game, you actually get, like, an exclamation point. So it'll say, oh, now if you use this, you're behind him enough, that will inflict topple and break. You know what I mean? So, and that changes, like, dramatically. It's so simple, but it changes dramatically the way that you uh, engage in combat. But I agree with Steve that it's probably going to have to end up being its own category because the, the line is just getting grayer and grayer, and you're going you're gonna to find out soon, Pete, how much grayer it's going to get. <laughs> I'm very interested by that statement. Um, yeah, it's interesting, though, because, like, I don't, you wouldn't make that distinction in another medium. Right, like if if they announced, no, say like uh, for example, like it was one of those Star Wars special editions that he, that George Lucas decided to re-release for the thousandth time. Yeah, but that's added but in I a think, tiny I think bit more CG. But you're not going to then say that that's oh, this is a movie of the year because it's now the special edition of the game of the movie that we're gonna no, we're gonna but, put this up for the Oscars. But I feel like we've established a difference there, right? Because, like, I think again, compare compare Xenoblade and um, compare Xenoblade and Link's Awakening to something like Dragon Quest Eleven S and Persona Five Royal, and I feel like though that shows the distinction in my mind, because like I think that looking at P Five R or um, Dragon Quest, it's okay, cool. We're taking a game that was done adding some bells and whistles, adding some additional content. Here's like the the definitive director's whatever cut edition, whatever you want to call it. I think that would be analogous to that Star Wars example that you're making. Whereas like Link's Awakening, and I think what it seems like to me anyway with Xenoblade, right, is, is more akin to like, okay, cool. Here's a new group of creatives. Maybe there's some crossover or whatever, but we're taking something that was already done and re like reimagining it, retooling it, redoing it for a new generation, that to me feels way more similar to like rebooting a franchise, right? Like of there are multiple movies called Planet of the Apes, but they all have different, you know, creative teams. And yeah, there might be character crossovers, there might be, you know, similarities, like there might be some movies that literally are just like, let's remake and a previous like look at the the disney live action remakes that they make right yeah. of like here's like basically a shot for shot remake of this animated movie in live action does that make it not a new movie of course it does it's different um and i i agree with you that like the line is blurred and there's that's a reason that there's a conversation to be had here but i don't know that it makes sense to make like a totally new category for it the the argument came from our own games of the year lists so like right are we including these games on our games of the year list? Like, is Xenoblade allowed to be included? I'd be disappointed if I. If I, I feel if like I, I feel like it should be. Yeah, but but is Bioshock included? No. So when did so, Bioshock yeah, that, come out? Two thousand ten. Two thousand six. Two thousand six. 
right? Or seven? Uh, seven. Because yeah, I was going to use time as a big part of it, too, because it's been how long since Link's Awakening released on the Game Boy? Uh, it was 93, 92, 93. And then Xenoblade's 10 years. But if we're talking 2006 to 2020, and it's not that but much it, of a jump. But that collection that. came out, must have come out like three years ago on other consoles. But my okay. thing is the difference is the difference is that the Bioshock collection is not different. It's just a port. I mean, visually right? it's It's different. just a port with better graphics. Yeah. But then but define that, a port. That... Is it just the same game? What if it's upscaled? Yeah. What if it's upscaled? To me... What if they add motion controls, or they add like touchscreen support, or they add in like the Skyrim port? They add in like um, a Link's tunic. That doesn't make that a new game, though. That's that's adding content. What if they What if they added five to ten hours of like extra story? If they did that and there were like mechanical changes, then I would maybe make an argument for it. I think that you would, yeah, like you would consider Xenoblade probably a contender. Then I think I would, based on what you're saying. Because it sounds like it's markedly different from the game that came out 10 years ago. I think so. I mean, I haven't played it, but I've watched people play it. Like, I've watched full Let's Plays of it, and I'm like, uh, uh, here's here's the thing. I wouldn't play it on the Wii. I was going to go back to it, and I saw how it was, and I was like, no, I'm not going to play this. This looks miserable. But on the Switch, it's like a completely like enjoyable experience. <laughs> so it was different enough for me to think of it that way. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave this on... Uh, the wrap-up of Ram's uh, little essay here. And we'll figure out how to get this on the website for you you uh, listeners. Being a JRPG, the story and the scenes which communicate it are also extremely important. This is talking about Xenoblade. While it's not directly the gameplay, uh, if we are to justify Link's Awakening's difference in presentation to be a change in the merit of the title and uh, what desires it can fulfill for players, we have to acknowledge the difference in presentation in Xenoblade. In fact... <clears throat> the scene direction of the game would be <clears throat> the biggest, most compelling change of the game from the previous release. When among the base enjoyment of the, t- um, or, I'm sorry, while the base enjoyment of the title is the story, the presentation of how the story is communicated, that is definitely something that I would say makes it a new, re- uh, a new release of the game, and coupled with the side quest markers and the new UI, I would argue makes it eligible for game of the year. These differences are obvious from the very beginning of the game, where the characters you attach yourself to feel more real and more emotive. The original game, uh, compared to this one, in terms of how the story plays out, does feel like upgrading from a virtual puppet show to a fully uh, well-budgeted, fully animated movie. Either way, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition is well worth your time, even if you have played the original game, but especially if you haven't. Falling in line with a more serious style of storytelling uh, than Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I'd say this title falls, falls more in line with Fire Emblem Three Houses, despite the graphical resemblance to the former. To miss this game would be missing a fantastic release and one of the best RPGs on Switch. Regardless of what arguments are made for or against, this is definitely a nominee for my personal game of the year. I think that's a good note to end it on. So thanks for the essay, Ram. We'll figure out how to get that up on the website. Uh, and thank you again to everyone who tuned in for this episode of the Pots Cast. Remember, if you want to get your thoughts read on the air in our mail pot segment or potentially pitch us on a main topic uh, like these fine folks did this week, you can write into me at peteatlupots.com. You can join us on our Discord and head over to the Pots Cast server. You can get up on our weekly Twitter thread that we throw up every Thursday asking for your questions, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll take them and we'll answer them if they're good. Sometimes even if they're bad. Let's be real, there's not a lot happening right now. You know, Sony's sucking all the oxygen out of the room. 
So, uh, again, if you want to get some more content from us, head over to LootPots.com, head over to the YouTube channel, head over to Twitch.tv slash LootPots, and check out our uh, Animal Crossing streams with the community on Thursdays, Steve's Variety streams on Mondays, Danny's usually doing uh, Mario Kart on the weekends, so I hope you'll come join us over there. And uh, last but not least, if you want to go above and beyond to help the show out, you can head over to LootPots.com, sorry, Patreon.com slash LootPots. One day we'll get a LootPots.com slash Patreon. And then I'll be good to go when I make that mistake. But patreon.com slash lootpots. Hit us at that $1 level and you'll get access to our Patreon exclusive show after dark. Where this week we're talking about, like I said, the PlayStation 5 reveal event. I know it's blasphemous. We don't, we're not even allowed to play games on other platforms. But we made an exception. We're going to talk about it this week. So I hope you'll come join us over there. It's the best way to support the show. And it gets you a little extra content every week. So with that, this has been the podcast. We love you. Stay safe. Stay sane. We'll catch you next week.